Good day, my name is Al. And I'm Mike, and I'm with Ian and Gemma on the Big Scuba podcast, and we're going to chat to them about uh, the Royal Naval Clearance Divers and Southern Diving Unit 2. Right. Big Scuba Podcast. It's the Christmas edition. Oh, no, it's not. It's our 50th edition. It's the 50th episode to the Big Scuba Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to the Big Scuba Podcast. My name is Ian, and also with me is... Gemma in Pakefield. Absolutely, and I'm in the wilds of Bungie, the centre of the universe, as somebody once told me. So, this is our 50th episode, Gemma. How did we get to 50? (laughs) We've made it. We've made it to 50. I know. That's unbelievable, isn't it? And what a cracking lineup of guests. Not only have we had, but to mark our 50th, we've got the boys from the Royal Navy, (laughs) Services. They are with us and they are, you know, uh, and that's an absolute privilege to speak to them. So, uh, and um, I was, I've been really excited about, and uh, it's been fun getting, um, getting them lined up. And uh, took took us a little while, and we got there. And uh, yeah, really pleased to uh, talk to them on that. But let's just before we get into talking to the guys from the Southern Diving Group from the Royal Navy, uh, let's just have a little chat about where we are and where what we're doing. So, episode fifty. Who have we had on? So in excess of probably 80 guests in one way or another. We are downloaded in 64 countries currently. Well, just think when we get to 100 episodes where we're going to say that we're downloaded. I know. How cool is that? We cannot do this without our lovely listener, you know, and it's great. We're now up to what? Two, three listeners now. And it's brilliant. (laughs) It's amazing how they hop around all the different countries. No, but with all seriousness, um, thank you, thank you for thank you, thank you. It's really great that people do download us. It's unbelievable, really. It uh, is, yeah. We, we're not pros at this. We're just kind of winging it, really, aren't we? Let's face it. You know, flying by the seat of our pants. Yes, we are. You know, I'm a gardener. You sell fish, and here <laughs> we are running a podcast. <laughs> Let's go back a little bit and just remind everybody and if you've only now joined us if you only now joined on to the the big scuba podcast and you're thinking well who have they done you know who have they covered Mm. i'm now going to tell you so one of the earlier guests that we had we had three on right from the start didn't we yes and we had grace inca may uh, who come on and talk to us uh, about their diving and you know, being involved in uh, all sorts of underwater photography and film work. Yeah. You know, and young and already having great careers in diving and photography. Christina, uh, Kevin, he's, he's been on. Andy Torbett. So Andy Torbett's one of our first guests. Um, Ted Clark. Uh, who else? We had John Chatterton, Jill Hyneth. Yeah, Monty Hall, Miranda Kristofnikov. Uh, we've had people come on talking about the books, Marina Centre, looking at boats and kayaks. and So this, the guy who's been on deepest parts of the ocean, John Chatterton, he's come on and talked to us about he not has. only in Britannic, he's seen 
how he um, was listening to Led Zeppelin when he went to see Titanic. How, you know, what else would you listen to? Uh, and then we've spoke to one of the guys who's been to the one of the highest places. No, I'm not thinking of uh, Mount Everest. I'm talking further up. He's actually been even further. You know, we've been talking to Mike Fink. So it, it, it's been it's been a bit of a, um, what's the word? A journey. We've been uh, on a journey. Yeah, I call it a journey. And they've all had some element of water or underwater world in their life, haven't yeah. they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, we had little little big chats early in the year mm. where people would come on and just talk to us and they'll go straight to YouTube. Um, we had the boys from Nart at 90, they come on and, yeah. um, you know, talked about all the exciting stuff. Who, You know, they spoke to the CIA. Hello. Yeah, and we've spoken to young divers, even like Bren Gallagher, just so enthusiastic about his diving. And Matt, Matt Holton. Matt, Matt Holton, yeah. Yeah, another one. Um, and then we've got the Royal Navy. We've got the police coming on very shortly as well. Um, so, yeah, you know, and you think of like, like Jill Hyneth, all the different places in the world that she's dived in, dived into uh, an iceberg. We've covered it, thank goodness. And um, it's been great. And, like, you know, I want to say one thank you to everybody who has come on and spared us some time. And uh, it's great, you know, that these people do come on and they lend us a bit of time and tell us about their life and their diving and their stories. And, and they've inspired our audience as well. That's the biggest thing. And they've inspired you as well, haven't they? They have, they, yeah. They've made my journey amazingly more fulfilled because I've had all these people that I've spoken to before I even got in the water and qualified. If we've played a tiny, minute little part in somebody actually saying, hey, you know, this diving lark sounds like a great idea, I'll give it a go. Or even inspired a, you know, new diver thinking, wow, I can do this and not have any doubt in their mind about getting in the water. It's all been worth it. So yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. It has been a lot of fun. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been brilliant. You know, it's uh, very pleased, very pleased how it's gone. And we're kind of evolved. I like to think we're kind of evolved as we're gone. You know, some things we sort of have altered as we're, yeah. But the point of it is, you know, it's been good and uh, it's fun. And uh, next year we'll be bringing in even more. So uh, you don't get rid of us that early, not yet. We You've got another here. 50 episodes to come. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And um, there's a lot lined up for next year. So it's quite good. I'm really pleased about that. Um, and also, you know, now's a good time probably just to remind everybody um, I am going to hark on about it a little bit, is the big scuba back phone. It's there. Um, we've already, already had a couple of people send us messages um, just to sort of send us a text, blah, blah, blah. That's great. What we want is a voice message to say, hey, now go and dive in, or I've just been diving. It's great. You'll try it. It's brilliant. And I'm with so-and-so, so-and-so. And if you can do that, 30 seconds or something like that, we will play it. Use us. It's an extension of your social media. If you're a content creator, uh, use us. And the number, which I know you're all asking, asking for, is coming up. Plus 44-78-10-005924. And so, so number again, plus 44 78 10 
005924. Use it as what we're waiting for, and we'll play it on the show. And if um, any anybody listening wants to congratulate us on our 50th episode, they can call that number. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, please do. That'd be really great. Always good to hear from our listeners and um, or if you've got any feedback, anything you like. So uh, do share that with the class. We've got an episode coming out, um, episode 50. There'll be 51 and 52 before Christmas. Yeah, so we've got a couple more and then we're going to take a little bit of a break. We'll be back. We'll be back. That's the great thing I said. We'll be back. So, coming up on the 50th episode, we have Royal Navy Southern Diving Group. Let me just tell you a little bit about who they are. So, with a day job that combines boat bomb disposal and underwater diving, the mine clearance divers of the Southern Diving Group are among the most highly skilled and fearless personnel in the Royal Navy. Made up of around 60 highly skilled Royal Navy mine clearance divers, Southern Diving Group's primary role is to keep the UK waters free from unexploded wartime ordnance. Despite their age, unexploded bombs and mines pose a serious threat both to the public and to critical national infrastructure. Boom. Don't say boom. Southern Diving Group also carries out a range of more general duties, from water maintenance and repair to battle damage assessments. There we go. So that is them. And who we spoke to was Mike and Al. Yeah. Uh, and they are based down on the south coast, so uh, near their training place. So, so that's all good. Um, I do want to say just one little thing. What's that? There is, well, there is a little bit of interference on this. We have, uh, obviously, we ca- this is an interview that we carried out by Zoom there is some feedback and we have um, just a little note for our listeners. We have tried to clear that. We've toned it down and played with it. And the quality is kind of governed by Zoom. So, you know, uh, it's a brilliant interview. It's really fun. Uh, There will be visuals coming out for, I'm not going to say why, but when you listen to it, you'll go, hmm, that's why there's probably going to be some visuals. Uh, So, yeah. they are good fun and they're very relaxed, as I'm sure you have to be when you're uh, clearing unexploded bombs. And uh, just you've just got to get past the little bit of interference. So uh, with that. So that's enough of me running on. Jem, anything else to add? It's just uh, thank you to all the people that have listened and contributed to the podcast, really. Just really, really big thank you for all their advice and tips. Yeah and uh, don't stop now we're not stopping now and uh, although we'll have a couple of weeks break probably over Christmas we will be back definitely absolutely yeah so keep in contact as well absolutely let us know what you're doing over the Christmas period right that's enough let's crack on let's get the boys <laughs> on from the Royal Navy and hear what's got, what they've got to say so it's episode 50 Hi there. Hello. Hi. Okay, I'm with the divers. So uh, I'm Steve. I've been your correspondent for the last little bit. So, well, thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, sorry. I'm, I'm Mike, Mike Jacobs. Uh, and I'm um, Al. Alistair. Sure. Um, I, my full name's Alistair, but I prefer Al. 
Would you mind um, just explaining who you are and, and you know, kind of what you do? Yeah, so um, I'm the, the chief diver, so I'm second in charge of the Sun Diving Unit 2. Um, my main role is looking after the manpower, the equipment, um, and the day-to-day -day life uh, of, of the actual unit, and to make sure that we can go out and provide those diving tasks, the EOD tasks that are called upon, um, and that we're providing that service on behalf of, of the Navy. Okay. And I am uh, the commanding officer for Southern Diving Group. So um, there are two units, one based in Plymouth and one based in Portsmouth. Uh, Mike is the, the chief for the, the second in command for the Portsmouth-based unit. Uh, and I oversee all of that activity to ensure that um, my group can provide diving and EOD to, uh, for the Navy, but obviously to defence as a whole. And you're called the Southern Diving Group, is that right? That's correct, yeah. Uh, we're part of the, the Fleet Diving Squadron. So there is a, a group based in Scotland called the Northern Diving Group. Um, and they, they provide a similar capability to our own. Uh, and they do everything, if you think, north of the Humber Line, whereas mm -hmm. we conduct um, all that activity south of the Humber Line. Okay. Then okay. we have some expeditionary diving groups as well. That, that they, they conduct that sort of activity all over the world uh, on behalf of the Royal Navy. Yeah. And then there's, a, from my understanding, there's like a, a land-based, army-based of team that do what you do on land. So there is, uh, yeah, the bond disposal side of our of our job um, is indeed mirrored in the in the army. That's done by members of the Royal Engineers and the Royal Logistics Corps, um, and they uh, they provide EOD uh, in the UK mainland. Um, for everything above the high water mark, we also conduct that activity. And, and Mike is a, is a number one operator out in the streets of the UK uh, on a weekly basis. Uh, but, but where we vary and differ from them is that anything below the high water mark is our responsibility, and that obviously includes then um, everything out into deeper water that requires diving. Right. Okay. And do you cover like um, inland rivers? If if called upon, um, it's rare that we get called out to jobs that involve rivers. Generally, it's been fished out and then dumped on the side. And then they realise it is something that we need to go out to. And then that's how we find it. Um, but, I mean, tasks could come in. It has been done in the past yeah. with, with rivers, especially like the Thames, um, yeah. where things have, are needed to be dived on. But smaller rivers inland, it's, it's very rare. Like I say, most of the time, it's all been brought up already by our favourite uh, people in society. <laughs> okay. Keep us busy. Yeah, I bet. I bet. <laughs> um, How long have you both been in the Royal Navy? Yeah. So I've, well, you're still counting. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I've done uh, 22 years um, so far. Uh, I started life as a, a general sailor in the RN. And then after sort of 18 months, I transferred across to the diving branch. Wow. So diving community, I'd probably say just over 20 years. Yeah, wow. Yeah, were you a diver before you joined the Navy? No, no, <laughs> I've never been diving before in my life. Wow. It was something I took on when I joined the Navy. Yeah, yeah. And how about you, Al? Uh, so I've been in the Navy 17 and a half years. Um, I joined, in effect, straight from school. There was a small gap. Um, Joined Dartmouth in 2003 as, a, as a, a general service warfare officer and 
deep specialised as a mine warfare and clearance diver uh, throughout the course of my career. Um, and I've been a diver since 20, to, sorry, 2008. Yeah, yeah. So had, before you obviously joined the Navy, had you ever considered diving as something you'd like to give it a go? I, I have, I guess it was a hobby tri-dive type situation um, when I was on holiday in Australia. It was a very good, good place to start. I've certainly not uh, replicated that in my military career, but uh, it was a very nice introduction. Yeah. 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 And uh, what, about, what about yourself? Um, like I say, I'd never dived before I joined the Navy. So um, there, there was no, I was, you know, from the Midlands, so there was no need. There wasn't really anywhere to dive. Yeah, and that's so, fair enough. Yeah, um, and I what didn't even. You, what made you get into bomb disposal? Um, so it was while I was in the navy. I then transferred across to the diving branch. Yeah. It was while I was in that I, I met divers and explained about what they actually do uh, and the role that they do. Um, and then that was it. I was hooked. Um, I've become a divers groupie as they're called, and then I went to selection um, and aptitude, and then I went straight on to course. All right. It rolled on from there. And it's very, very similar for myself. I met um, the good privilege of, of having a very good mentor as an existing clearance diving officer um, in, during my young officer years, uh, I, and they read me into what, what the career was about, and, and the cha it's challenging and exciting and interesting, and all of those things definitely appealed to a very much younger me, and, and I was sold. So uh, yeah. then, yeah, 17 years later, here I am. I was looking on the webpage, and uh, the recruitment process looks really good and quite really quite thorough, and it reminded me of the process you have to go through as a dive master and instructor. Um, like with the swim test and fitness test, all those things. Yeah, I would, I would definitely say the, uh, the, the training pipeline to get someone from not knowing any diving or having any diving experience through to being a, uh, a proficient mine clearance diver, is, it is long. Um, it is certainly arduous and testing to ensure that uh, the result actually is that we, I think our people are, are the envy of the Royal Navy and the sort of the competent, their competence and capability um, what they can do is just brilliant, but there is obviously a, um, a physical test um, entry requirement for that because we need to be able to ensure that people can cope with the pressures. And the only way to simulate the, pr the, the pressure of a live situation is, you know, th when people are colder and tired and, and they, you know, you've got to really put them under pressure. And it's the only way you can safely do that um, and, and ensure a result at the end. Yeah, so that um, fitness, that's basically like, that's like the uh, core is to get into the Royal Navy and then you specialise. Uh, yes, the, uh, to become a, a clearance diver requires a, a higher baseline of fitness than the, the general service. So um, there, there are additional uh, minimal standards uh, that you'd be required to fulfil before getting onto course. Um, and those are mostly centred around you being able to, one, uh, safely lift and carry your equipment uh, various distances, uh, being able to then uh, pull yourself out of the water whilst wearing that equipment, albeit you get assisted uh, in, in real life. But, you know, if push comes to shove, you've got to be able to do it yourself uh, in the event of an incident or indeed uh, in more testing environmental conditions on open water. Yeah, yeah. And, and then you've got your, your in-water 
um, like PT and fitness, which really stems from when you then are on course. So you have that baseline of physical fitness when you join and your aptitude. And then when you're actually on course, a lot of the time is spent in the water to get your water fitness up. Mm. Um, and there, there's a, a, a lot of physical activity with that that involves mud runs. Um, and I, like I say, a lot of time in the water, finning up and down Halsey Lake. <laughs> Uh, in terms of the training, obviously it's quite secret. Um, but how did you find the whole process? Did you, did you well? Do you get a lot of people that kind of don't make it, or is it quite a sort of high percentage of sort of qualifications? So it's um, you, like like now, it's, it's you do get a high percentage, and the people that that don't make the cut are those that take themselves off or sustain an injury through the process, which is generally no fault of their own. Um, and a lot of them get fit again, come through, and then they're successful. Um, the, the, the physical side of it is achievable. I've done it so anyone else could do it. Um, you know, I'm not making out that I'm anything different to anyone else. you just got to want it, and you've got to work hard, and you can achieve it. It's like any arduous course in the RN or the military. It's, it's all achievable. you just got to want it. Yeah, it's... Uh, sorry, I would say I would absolutely mirror that. And the um, you know, it is all achievable. It, it is difficult at, at times, and there's there's quite a lot to learn. The learning curve is certainly quite steep for for some of the, especially the bomb disposal type activities. But yeah. it's all achievable. It just requires a fair amount of hard work. You need mental agility as well. I imagine. Yeah. I mean, you, you'll, you'll go through a lot of the PTs, so they tire you out, and then you're doing a lot of lesson-based activities to obviously learn about the kit, physical diving, to be able to look after yourself as a diver, work as a team. Um, and, and that's a, the main ethos, is it's not individual diving, it's all about being part of that team and how you work together. Um, so, yeah, they've got to take you out of that comfort zone, and that's why we're military divers. Yeah. And, you know, you're, you're, you're training to be that element in time of war. So whether it is war and peace, you've, you've got to be prepared for the long hours, the cold, working at night um, in areas that you don't really want, that you wouldn't go to, you wouldn't pay to go to. Um, so it's always, yeah, we're at, the, we're at the rough end of the diving community, if you want to look. Whereas you're all doing nice stuff globally, looking at coral reefs. We're looking at the belly of a ship in a nice dirty dockyard somewhere. So... <laughs> reality uh, do you get many women coming through we we have the branch has been open uh to both male and female applicants uh for the i'd say maybe uh in excess of five years now so we we have a small but growing number of of female clearance divers and clearance diving officers um and, and you know there is there is no difference in capability in the end result and uh, certainly i am i'll be very happy to receive any of the female able seamen that are new into the branch and, uh, and they'll come to our unit from sea and uh, they'll be an excellent addition to our to our diving group when they arrive. Yeah, that's great to hear. Yeah. yeah. So do you think that uh, if we've got someone who's to us uh, from, I don't know, who are maybe a, a tech diver or uh, they've been diving years, but maybe they're still in their early 20s, would, you know, does the diving help or do you like train their fight from scratch what we tend to do or, or what the navy looks at is um i mean yeah we'll always take people that have got diving experience of course we will because uh, you, you're already shown an aptitude to be able to do the job yeah 
the problem that we've got to then iron out is all the, the bad drills. I was wondering. Um, and obviously we've got to teach you to a set way. So, you know, we've got to iron out those little bits, polish it, and then we move you forward. So everyone, whether you've dived before or not, is, is beat down to one level and then you're just moulded together as a group as you go through the yeah. dive course itself. I, I was wondering, and I don't mean... To ask you to put your box, I know, you know obviously there's the things that you can tell us and what you can't, but I was wondering whether in training, because uh, yes, the fundamentals of diving will be the same, whether you're in the service or recreational, but wondering if there's anything particular that's different that you can tell us, which, like, you know, maybe there's different hand signals or... Um, just more different things you've got to be aware of. Yeah, so, 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 sorry, so, so signals are, and this is like a bit of a running joke between us and like the, obviously the, the civilian diving community, as we'd call it. Obviously, you've got all your, um, so is it that? That means go up. Yeah. So that to us is like, yeah, you're all right. We give it <laughs> a thumbs up. So, um, yeah. okay you, for us. Yeah. yeah, there's none of that. No. <laughs> 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 no, so um, yeah, so hand like signals and things are completely different. We we have a lot of lifelines, so generally yeah. because we're in tidal conditions, we're in dangerous areas. We don't always have the divers free swimming, so we are on on light lines, whether that's attached to a float or in hand, mm. and we use working signal. Okay, the guys in the boat, if they need to pass things down, or the diver wants equipment, we can do pulls and signals on a line that's attached to us. And that's yeah. how we communicate. Um, and, uh, and, and like the civilian world as well, we have uh, diver through water comms, on, especially on our, our Sabre, um, our air sets. Um, so, you know, we can talk just like you guys can. We have the full, full face masks. We have got full face mask variants as well. Yeah. yeah. So we, sort of, we, we, we have, a, thankfully, a suite of options in terms of a full face mask or a half mask variant um, and that all kind of depends on what the task is you're doing you know um, the full face mask is wonderful but your field of view is slightly impaired by it yeah. whereas yeah. With a, a sort of a simple Pinocchio mask actually you've got a much you can move your head more freely and, and you can get a better um, all-round look which is clearly if you're searching for a piece of ordnance uh, may be preferable depending on what, what the task is. Right because like um you know, the only closest thing I can suppose I can uh, align it to is when we've done training for a missing diver on a rescue course. Um, so I presume when you're looking for something, that can be in a similar search pattern. We learn, you know, whether you're going around in circles or uh, grid references. Yeah, we, we, we use all of that or we, you can get... Uh what we call conned on to an item if it's been found by a ship with sonar then you you can get your uh, you can actually drive the diving uh, rib onto it uh, and then your divers will conduct a search for that uh, and then we can kind of we're low capability is improving to include things like handheld sonars for divers to assist in our search capability moving towards the future as well as incorporating uh, autonomous vehicles or remotely operated vehicles to to sort of uh, increase the skill set and our ability to search. So, so our, our training is conducted at various sites, but the Defence Diving School um, is based in Horsey Island in Portsmouth. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, a lake here, which has got a, uh, it was a, originally a World War II torpedo test lake, 
So it's um, very nicely nine, uh, nine meters deep at its deepest and uh, about a kilometer long. So um, it's, it's ideal for that kind of new entry initial diver training uh, where, where basically we learn to operate our equipment and uh, learn in water skills about swimming and binning along. Um, and we can introduce more complex so, uh, mixed gas rebreathing diving equipment in a, in a very benign environment that we can control um, yeah. and once we've reached a certain level of competence we'll then move to open water areas like Portland or um, up, in, up in Scotland for, for deeper water uh, and that will sort of test the extremes of depth which you can't replicate within the within the lake. Right okay that's fair enough and I see that you use um, a rebreather that is stealth. Yeah, yeah. so uh, again <laughs> <laughs> I, was check, I was looking on when I was doing some research and I was looking on your website so, and they were showing that you use the stealth uh, rebreather and I was wondering if you are using that and how did you find the transition getting into because rebreathers are still sort of a you know a new science and some people like them some people don't well we specifically use them for uh, for uh, deeper diving um, and for um, on ordinance that, that would be um, influenced by magnetics or sound or, or, or things like that because they are quieter and, and more, a more technical piece of equipment. Um, so, so but for the ordinance of that size, it's actually a simpler task than, you, if, say, an improvised device on the hull of a ship, which you'd want as much dexterity as possible. So what you gain in capability from the mixed gas set, it's obviously much larger and heavier and a bit more cumbersome. Um, so you lose a little bit of dexterity in that. Whereas, you know, if you need more dexterity at shallower depth, you would probably choose a choose a, an air set, so a simple. Yeah. I, I noticed there's like, a, on something I was reading, they were limiting the depth to 60 metres. Or is it your, your training is limited to 60 metres? Yeah. So the, the, the set itself is, is capable down to 120 metres. Um, yeah. As with um, everything, our capability is threat-based. So, in effect, we are we dive to sixty meters because that is where our most likely or where our our, our threat algorithms tell us that we need to dive to. And if that changes, then our capability would would change to to match that. Um, and and that's I guess the difference between the set's capability and what defense needs as a capability from us. Yeah. Yeah, makes sense. That's a lot, in the day, it's a lot. You know, you get past sixty meters, it's a blooming long way down, isn't it? You know. I think depend depending on where you're diving. Normally, after about twenty, it's cold and dark, and then it. it just... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. About your kit, so obviously you're in dry suits. Do you sort of have Royal Navy issued specific dry suits, or depending on what job you're doing? No, we. Um... We, there is a company that's contracted in to, to look after us and they will provide us with all the kit. So we're all the same. Um, we have a, a plethora of kit. Um, we have obviously dry bags um, for the, the deeper and colder water um, diving. Uh, and then we've got good old wetsuits that we'll generally use, which are a lot more comfortable, different layered systems. Um, yes, it's, it, it's say basic when you compare it to a lot of the gucci kit that you can buy <laughs> um if you, if you look at it we do we need that that's that's a debate we can have between ourselves 
for a majority of the diving that we do, the, the kit that we get is is perfectly fine for what we need. Um, do you have things like heated vests and heated gloves then? If only. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there are there are there are if you're diving in uh, in the north of Scotland in the winter you would wish you had some but uh, <laughs> we don't have any uh, heated systems yet they are they are in development but clearly again those are linked to certain capabilities and it all depends on uh, exposure time and everything we all the equipment we currently have is uh, sufficient to allow us to safely conduct our activity that we are planned to conduct at this time, but obviously there is a, the odd unique task where perhaps you might need a different piece of equipment and we can, there are ways and means for us to get that if we, if we needed it. How do you get on then? So say um, you, you're down somewhere and visibility is bad, you can't see, and as everything's by touch, as we know, you know, as well, a lot of it's done, and you've got gloves on, you know, for the best will in the world, it's a hell of a job to try and feel stuff and do stuff when you've got gloves on, especially dry gloves, when you've got an inner glove and an outer glove. Do you ever go down and think, right, gloves off and just bear the cold and do what you've got to do with bare hands? Yeah, sometimes. It, again, it all depends. So as clearance divers, generally you're, like, you're rummaging around in the mud. Then when you hit a mine, you generally know whether you've got gloves on or not that you found it. Yeah. Uh, it's obviously the difference between metallic object and the soft mud. The main reason we really wear gloves is because we're all a bunch of sissies and we don't like <laughs> seaweed between the fingers. Um, and, and it's, yeah, it's just to protect our, our hands. Um, we do get given different thickness gloves for the different tasks. Um, I mean, there are young lads out there that have got hands like leather boots and they will go down, they never wear gloves. Whereas I've got nice soft hands and I've got to look after them. So yeah, I wear thick gloves, but it's, it's all down to the, the diver's preference really. Yeah. And again, if, you know, if we have limitations, you know, if it's a certain temperature, we'd recommend the use of a certain type of glove to obviously ensure that individuals are protected. But if you need to, to, to um, go away from that to complete the job, then you would, you would do so. I mean, you know, if it, if you need to take your gloves off to get the job done, you're down there to do a job, so you will do that, and then you know get your get your gloves back on when you're finished if the water is particularly cold, for example. Um, right. we, we've got that flexibility. So when you go down, are you like? Is there like uh, again? Hopefully, this is not an operational problem um, to answer. But is there like three or four of you in, in a team go down together, no, or does it does that just depend? It all depends on the tasking. So most of our mine clearance jobs will be single diver ops. So it'll be one guy on his own will go down to, to look for it, identify it, um, and, and conduct a search. Now, if you want, if you're searching a larger area, then yeah, we could put more divers down and spread that search out, um, depending on, on the tasks, really. Yeah. Most, most of the diving that we do is single man ops. So where do you call the line between... When you if you if you're in a um, a piece of water where visibility is really bad and it's deep, where do you draw the line between thinking right this is something that's actually doable or actually it's not and we just got to you know do something else? Well, there's a a lot of factors that can obviously affect affect that decision. I guess the sort of uh, overarching one is is what is the imperative of that task? You know, is is there a risk to the safety of navigation or a, an individual's life, for example, that would give that task a higher 
a higher precedence for us to do it. But we have a very robust risk assessment strategy, be it a dynamic one on site as things evolve, or if it's something that's planned, then obviously we, we do that work far in advance to try and foresee any problems that there may be and come to the, the, the safest and best solution for that, for that given task, which whatever it happens to be. So, um, but then if, as things change, and they often do in open water, um, we have the ability to stop a task and, you know, recover back to the platform or the shore and and plan again if required provided of course it's not one of these uh, risk to someone else's life type tasks where obviously that's where we will we will um, conduct the task as safely and as efficiently as possible to complete it and to mitigate that risk and remove it yeah that's fair enough technology wise we've kind of gone away from that diffusing bombs underwater and um you know, we, we've got equipment now where we can lift and shift. We can move it to a safer area for us then to dispose of later. Mm-hmm. Do what we need to do to. That's good, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Technology is definitely, uh, you know, it is continuing to improve. Uh, certainly, the advent of, of handheld sonar systems and remote vehicles um, is definitely the direction of, of, of travel within the military as a whole. And, and that clearly applies to the, the diving specialization as well. To, um, and we will there will always be an addition of, of, of technology to assist our roles, but I don't think that the technology will ever replace the requirement for a, for a clearance diver because you know, technology just can't do all the things that a human being can do. And, and it's not as versatile, you know, certain technology is very, very good at one job, but it can't do four or five different jobs. So, you know, whereas a, a diver will always be able to do to do that. Benefits, yes, but not re- will never replace us, I don't think. Do you have to log... You're, like, as re- re- recreational divers, we log our dives. So is that something that you do? Yep. So all our dives, every time we're exposed to the water, it gets logged and then we, it goes into our own diving log. Yeah. And to be recorded. Uh, and like your logs, it'll have just like simple things like depth of water, temperature, visibility, what the actual task was, who was there, made up part of the dive team. Um, it's a little history, you know, that represents what you've done. So we can always glean information and an experience from that. So if there's a unique job that we've been out and done before, if it's like, well, it comes, you know, someone else comes across a job similar, you know, we can always just go back through our logs and just think, well, yeah, this is how I dealt with this. And you can pass that information on. And that's what a lot of our job is about is learning and moving on. Um, You know, we've, we've got set procedures and rules and guidance that's all it is, is guidance. Um, it's a very dynamic world and we have to adjust with that. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. So you, how many log, log dives do you have between you? I've, so I've, I've got, got many more than me. Yeah, so I've, <laughs> so I've got three. I've probably got three logs. So there's probably, I don't know, 1,500 dives. Yeah. 20, I don't know. I'd have to, I, in all honesty, I'd have to get all my logs out, <laughs> have a proper counter. That's a lot though, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I'm, yeah. I, as a, a career diving officer, wouldn't have been exposed to half the number of, of dives as, as, as Mike, but I will, have, I will have done several hundred, if not more than a thousand individual dives, um, which, but yeah, so it's great. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> a lot yeah. of the dives that you do are when you're, and that, you know, a younger, an AB, uh, a junior rank, you are the guys that genuinely at the coalface. Yeah. Uh, as you go up through the ranks as officers and seniors, we are supervising. So we're sat in the boat 
barking orders at the guys to go in and do the dirty even more yeah so yeah our, our diving minutes and our, the number of dives that we do do drop off but we do a lot more in the way of supervision yeah that's good though because then you're passing your experiences down to the the, the the people who are now as you say at the coal face yeah but you know and you guys have really done all that as well so you know it's good yeah no one of the things that i think that that is unique in the dive branch and diving branch in a certain way is that uh, you know our junior sailors can start to supervise a dive from the rank of leading seamen to like a, a corporal in the army as an equivalent um, and the great thing is that you know as a senior or an officer we, we will go diving and it's the you know the leading seaman on the surface that's in charge of that evolution and you know it gives us a really um, a really good uh, team bonding experience and it's you know we're all very close because the person in charge of that dive is in charge of that dive. It doesn't matter what epaulette they are. They happen to be wearing. They're the supervisor. And yeah. they, so they benefit greatly from the experience of their seniors, but at the same time, will also supervise while they're in the water. And it gives us a really good uh, good team ethos, I think. That's fair enough. So um, what do you like to do when you're on holiday then? When you're away, from, do, do you go, do you dive when you're on holiday? You know, no. Do you <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> do it for a day job. I don't want to do it when I go on holiday. And I think the wife would have something to say about that as well. So um, no, uh, I've yeah, I, I think I've done a couple of dives when I've you know, been on a nice holiday. But no, I it's it's not something I do as a I'm diving. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I uh, I think I have been diving on holiday once, and that was because my wife wanted to try it. Um, so we we went again. This was, I was in Australia at the time, so it was, it was a very nice, pleasant dive. But there was there was nothing uh, nothing going to go bang. So it was you know frustrating. Do you not get tempted to like you know go see some sharks or go swim the seals and you know no. be switched off from all that? And we were just like no, I had enough. I've 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 done a cage dive for a, to, to see a grey white. That was that was a lot of fun, but. Yeah, it's one of those odd ones where you're only just beneath the surface. It's not, you know, yeah. wasn't wasn't the full brave dive. I was definitely in a cage. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm just, I'll just take my little one to the Sea Life Centre if I want to go and see a shark. <laughs> you get that opportunity in Skegness. Yeah. You're not wowed by the visibility because yeah. you, you do yeah. have no visibility. Yeah, I want to be able to see what I'm looking at. <laughs> But then again, sometimes it's better not to be able to see what's around you. You can concentrate on the job at hand. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, I think there'll be a lot of people that are quite surprised by that reaction. And yeah, you just don't want to see all this big blue clear scene. <laughs> I mean, uh, there are guides within the branch that, that are into it. But um, there's not many. Not many at all. Um, it's, you know, it's a day job for a lot of the guys. Um, and yeah. It's not something they really take up at weekends or if yeah. it's seasonal when it's warm. I kind of understand that um, because it's a bit like to a, de to a degree, um, me, you know, if I cut grass, the last thing I want to do when I get home and my time off is cut more grass. <laughs> so it kind of is, even if you do. Sorry, I think he's going to smoke it. Where are we going with it? <laughs> If you're doing it all day, last thing you ought to do is more of it, I suppose. But yeah, I, I, I kind of I do understand. So, but what's the what's the weirdest thing you've found? You know, can you is there anything you, you when you've been called to a job and that's like, uh, what is this? Uh, yeah, 
<laughs> so, hold on. Lorry, t- lorry wheels or car wheels, hubs. Is really? it? Yeah, that, that frequently called in as landmines. Um, I think the weirdest one that I've been to is probably a brolly handle. No way. Called it in as a flare. Uh, <laughs> it's, 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 yeah, it's how people perceive things. And yeah. Think something is, if they find it on the beach, then they just automatically think it's some sort of ordnance. Yeah. About uh, bits of pipe work, sewer pipes that have been there for years, but we can see that, but other, you know, other people can't. And it's yeah. years gone by, there used to be educational things on telly or there used to be posters and, and that sort of thing's not out there anymore. Um, with all the digital age, that's all moved, it's all gone. Mm. So, yeah. yeah, people just see anything on the beach and think it's, Unexploded ordnance. Yeah, we're very happy with as a go-to. <laughs> you know, if if people do see things that are suspicious, it's much better to phone and ask us, and for us to then, yeah, of you know, be tasked to go and have a look at it. But yeah, we get the odd, you know, thing that's that's nothing, but actually that's a good job for us because people are calling us, and and you know, it's much better that than the alternative of something that is a danger that yeah. uh, that, that goes unnoticed until it's too late. Yeah, I've seen you guys on the road, actually. Uh, must have been on to a job with the blue flashing lights, you know, on, um, I think, I don't know where I was, on the A140 somewhere, and you were going past. You must have been, this is last year, heading somewhere north. And um, so you must, yes, you, you do cover quite a big area, as you said. Yeah, so uh, Southern Dive Group covers everything from uh, sort of the Humber Line, uh, Manchester, across to Liverpool, um, south, uh, the coastline. And then we sort of split it down the middle between Plymouth and the Portsmouth-based unit and anything maritime or land, if we're the closest responder uh, in that area, would, would get responded to by, by one of our units. Yeah. Uh, can be a lot of time on the road, and, uh, but it's hugely rewarding. Yeah, it's cool. yeah. So in terms of the tasks you get, you know, something phones up and say, I've seen this. How long a time scale are you kind of from getting that call to actually getting out onto location? So we constantly have uh, people at between 15 and 30 minutes readiness, depending on what they're being called for. So if we receive a, a task via the Joint Service EOD Centre, which normally comes from the police or the Coast Guard, who, who would be the first point of contact for the public, um, our people can be on the road within 15 to 30 minutes, depending on, on what that task is. Um, the classifications depend on how, how quickly responds and what the risk associated with that item is. We must respond, but obviously we can immediately respond should it be required. Okay. So when did you last die? Uh, over a week ago. All right. Oh, okay. Recently. Yeah. You've so, got me. Well, I last died, I think it was last month. Although yeah. as it's almost, is it the 1st of December yet? That's not too bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting cold now as well. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so is that kind of a normal, do you go kind of a few weeks without getting wet? We, we sort of, you try not to. I mean, the, the, the idea of the fact that because we are not just diving, when we are diving gets us to the job. So you've got to be current and competent in your diving equipment so that you can just go and do that job and you can concentrate on that job rather than the diving element. So we do spend a lot of time in the water to ensure that we've got that currency and competency so that then you're not thinking about breathing in and breathing out at depth whenever you've got 
something to deal with that, that, that poses a risk to you. Yeah, no, that's good to say. At, at the moment, so generally we would try and get in weekly, so the team will rotate and, and get through. Um, but obviously this year has been a little bit of a write-off for reasons that we all know. So again, that's kind of restricted us a little bit on you know numbers we can get together to go dive in and sort of smaller groups, so you're not getting in as frequently. Um, so it can be frustrating. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's all the interesting stuff. And obviously for our listeners, because obviously you're working in zero visibility, so you have to work out the measurements of the things you're finding using fingers and elbows and things. Is that, that's like another kind of sense, isn't it? Yeah, so everything is six to eight inches. <laughs> we normally go off. <laughs> well, you're going to use body parts to measure your... Yes, <laughs> yeah, you do, uh, when, you, when you go through your underwater EOD training, there is a, a part of that course where you spend an inordinate amount of time measuring you know, the length of your hand and then your hand to your elbow and your foot to your knee so that if you, you, when you have no visibility, you can get a good gauge on, on the size of a piece of ordnance which it's an odd skill to have. <laughs> I'm sure it comes in handy at times. <laughs> Not as often as you'd think. <laughs> no, it was amazing. I was watching a video and the guy was standing there and he used like the wits from one hand to the end of his other hand. I thought he's going to go and cover the mine or something. <laughs> just, yeah, that's, that's, that's generally what we'll do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because we're idiots. So we like <laughs> hugging minds. It's just a thing we do. Um, it, it's so that the lads, that when they go down, they can get a rough idea of the, the dimensions, the, the length, the width, etc. Certain markings, features of that ordnance that we're looking for. And they can give us sizes and measurements, etc., etc. So then when they come to me, and then the best bit is when I get them to do a drawing, and then it looks nothing like what was down there. Really? You get like spaceships and, and all sorts of weird wonderful drawings that we have a laugh about. But generally we can then tell that what, what it is um, and where that can lead us and then what we need to do to render that safe. Yeah. But I suppose around our coastline, most of what you find must be Second World War stuff, isn't it? Around yeah, our Phenomenal amounts of Second World War ordnance. Um, more airdropped weapons than you would than you would perhaps think, because the uh, the procedure was um, from both sides that if you were flown the target and for whatever reason you were unable to jettison all of your ordnance, you would drop it on the in the sea on the way home, to uh, so that you'd have enough fuel to actually make it back. So yeah. you know you you often therefore get um, old airdropped uh, weapons that will, will wash up. Um, Last week, Southern Down and Unit 2 were in Guernsey for a, a US Mark 52 airdropped depth charge that um, was found in St. Peter's Port, for example. Um, so they are still out there, still very prevalent because there were hundreds of thousands of them jettisoned um, over, the, over the war period. Yeah. And are you finding that, I suppose most of them now, you must now know, but I take it they're not, you're not finding new... Uh, new design, or not, it's not the right phrase, um, a different designed system which was dropped years ago. I suppose most of it's all fairly, you must now know how most of it all works of, of the Second World War era stuff. Yeah, so we'll generally, and there's certain areas as well that we go to, like certain coastlines um, and areas of the UK, um, 
that you'll generally then find the same items reappearing. Yeah. Yeah, you sometimes get different variants where we've come across. Um, so to identify a German weapon is by one of the main features is a lifting lug, which would suspend it underneath the aircraft. Mm -hmm. Okay. You had a video of one for some divers and we all sat there going, well, that can't be German. Lifting lug's different. Then when we did some research and we've got some boffins on the end of a phone, there were certain periods during the war where, you know, our friends Germans were getting what they can and, in a way, bastardising everything and, and doing what they could to put lifting lugs or different types of aircraft that they were bringing in because they were running short. Mm -hmm. Slight different variants that were then appearing. So yeah. educational piece for some of us. Uh, I think it was only like a couple of years ago as well. Yeah. Because it's one of the things I was looking at... Um, where they're saying that early on in the war, they had a lot more brass uh, to use on different shell casings and things like that. And then towards the end, when uh, things were getting tight for them, they started using iron and uh, anything they could basically use as a ca case. Yeah, um, they, uh, it was, you know, they were made from, from all sorts of things, but they were made to a, a sort of, I guess, a standard design. So rather than you know, be perhaps what would be classed as improvised almost um now it is you know or then it was still all to a design you would recognize it even if it was made from a slightly different material um interestingly you know a, a, a british boy in mind washes up now you'd mostly just get the main charge and perhaps some of the, the connectors or whatever but uh, german ordnance certainly the stuff early uh, from the war was actually made to incredibly high engineering standards and and actually has weathered the test of time much, much better. Probably where the, the stereotype about how good German cars are comes from. It's <laughs> they're you know, still they still look fairly pristine if you you know take all the barnacles off. But they're yeah, yeah. certainly. Uh, yeah. So is there anything that obviously you've heard about, but that you'd love to find? No, I think I've I've come across most yeah pieces really. I tell you what I would like um, is if I don't know like a V two or a V one rocket. That would be like the gold standard. That would me. That'd be me getting my MBE. Yeah. There was loads, wasn't there? <laughs> I mean, it but yeah, um, chances of us finding something like that now very, very slim to to none. But yeah, that would be the the icing on the cake. I think for my career. <laughs> I don't think I can top that. <laughs> <laughs> over to you. No, no, but it's, it's surprising actually how many of them were sent over. Right, and right towards the end, they're still sending them over, weren't they? Mm. Yeah. Um, so there's always a chance, I suppose, that some of them be in the sea, I yeah. guess. How about you, Al? Um, I don't think I can get something as, something as high class as a V2. He's clearly thought of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, uh, have, have, whilst being at the, now the commanding officer, I was a, um, the officer in charge of one of the expeditionary units, which did mostly kind of... Uh, Opkipian, so in, into the Middle East facing. So actually, I would very much like the opportunity to dive on live World War II ordnance and, and, and do that in the UK. I haven't yet had that experience. So just one of those before I leave command would be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Have you got any, anything you can tell us, like of a past job or a, an example of something maybe we might have heard of where, where you guys got involved and you know diffused it and disposed of or blew it up? Yeah, so I, I think the, um, I mean, there's, there's a couple of been, a couple of high profile taskings of recent 
Um, and I'm not I'm not staking claim for that. I wasn't involved, but for the unit, um, we had the large dredging project for the dockyard for okay. the years. Um, there was a lot of Second World War ordnance found then, and the team uh, were recognised for removing and disposing and rendering safe of a lot of ordnance that was found then. Um, and then there was the London City job um, for the London City Airport, where there was a airdrop weapon found, and then they had to yeah, remember that way up through the Thames. Um, and that that was a very very large profile. Um, a scenario because they had to literally take it all the way across the Thames. They had to make sure all the tube trains had stopped. And it was basically a rolling cordon. Um, when they got to the QE bridge and the tunnel, that had to be stopped at a certain point. Um, and it, you know, it went up to, to Parliament. It, it was a huge, huge process. Um, yeah, we had to train one of our engineers in how to operate the bridge so that it was a service person operating the bridge because it was going to be inside of the cordon as as our uh, we towed the ordinance out, out past it. So it was a, a hugely complex operation that our predecessors um, had the privilege of, of conducting. But that's probably the highest profile job of, in recent times that the Southern Diving Group have conducted. It's amazing, really, when you, you know, as, as a diver, you, you're not only you're trained how to dive, you're trained how to use the CCRs, uh, then you, you, you're getting your head around how to approach a, a project like that, and then you get your team are, are doing, you know, operating a bridge. And you, you're so multi-skilled, you know, it's, a, it's quite an amazing achievement, really, to do all that. It, it keeps it interesting. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but doesn't it show you where um, the field of diving, you know, is one of the reasons why we wanted to speak to you, you know, for anyone who is listening to this, who are thinking, right, you know, I've just done my open water and they're 17, 18, that if you are interested in diving and being underwater and use putting that to a good uh, skill and a good job, you know, what way this can give them and, you know, what from diving, you, you never know where it's going to, Take you. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, the, the the diving is a means to an end. It is a yeah. it's his enabler to our capability. Um, so you know, if, if someone is interested in diving, that's a good place to start. Um, and then yeah, they'll get taught a whole load of different skills. Yeah. Um, and just broader navy business as well is is you know very globally facing right now is, uh, with the the political. Uh, aspirations for the country so you know there's now is a good 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 time to uh, to get involved especially in the clearance diving branch yeah it is isn't it? i think it's, uh, it's really good. so for anyone who is listening to this and thinking about joining up what's the best thing for them to do and where they best to go to if they're interested in joining the service so the, the best thing is obviously the first thing is is do a little bit of research there's plenty of stuff online now um with uh the technological world that we live in, you can find so much on there um, and go to your careers office um, uh, and speak to the, the Navy guys in there. They'll point you in the right direction. Um, how that process is now, I couldn't give you the, the, the truth and, you know, by all means, they should, your listeners should go out and, and, and ask basically um, the guys that will know um, we need divers. Um, so there is recruitment. There are places out there. Um, so by all means, just come along and, and give it a go. Yeah. yeah. 
the Royal Navy website will be a good place to start. That has all the links on, on, on how, how to access your local careers advice. Um, clearly, they will have COVID restrictions in force at the moment, like everyone else. I suspect it'll be much more uh, remote-based just now, but eventually, you know, that you, you'll get the opportunity to, to come down and, and see us, and, and we'll get to see you. And if, if the two fit, then uh, welcome in. Yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah. So once somebody signs up and joins, from do they have to go through quite a lengthy induction before they then can decide what branch or area they're going to go into? I think now they can come in direct entry, so you can right. join the diver um, back in the golden oldie days of sail when I come through. Um, we, I had to join up as a, a sailor yeah. uh, a branch and then transfer across. I think now that they are, it's open door policy, you know, males, uh, females, you know, with open arms. So you come in, you'll do your basic training uh, HMS Rally. Yeah. Eight weeks? Six to eight weeks, yeah. Six, six to eight weeks. Seamanship phase, which is an extra couple of weeks. And then you'll come down to us. I say you'll do a week's, um, is it a pedal course they call it now? Yeah. Um, where you, you get an introduction uh, into the diving world, they get to see how you are in the water, um, and then yeah, you come through for a proper aptitude, and then on successful successful completion of that, you'll start course. Yeah, yeah, and you don't even have to be a diver; non-divers can, and you train them right up from the absolutely, start. yeah, absolutely. I would consider myself a complete non-diver before I I attended the defence diving school, and um, you know, you'll take you from zero to hero, as we may call it. <laughs> They're, they're probably the easiest divers to mould um, and, and yeah. forward. I've got to get rid of the bad habits. <laughs> yeah. Bad habits, what are they? There you go, Gemma. <laughs> uh, what dive location is on your wish list or bucket list and why? If you, had to, if you wanted to go diving somewhere. So, and this is probably a very naval one, but uh, I have not been or able to dive yet on the HMS Royal Oak in Orkney, which yeah. is only dived on by uh, Royal Naval Clearance Divers from Northern Diving Group uh, to change the ensign once a year. And the why, I think, is just because it represents such a, such a phenomenal piece of naval history from, from the Second World War. And it would, it's just one of those iconic, iconic dives within our specialisation that, that only a few get to do. So... Yeah, if, if I could have any, I, I would take that one. That's a good one. And it shows that they're not forgotten as well, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There's a huge, a huge uh, brotherhood within the military. And I, I mean, you know, it's a, a genderless brotherhood, but it is a huge brotherhood within the Navy and, and between all military services. And, it, you know, we, we all yeah. want to remember those that have gone before us and what that means to us. There's about 1,100 people went down on that, wouldn't there? Yes, yeah, there was. Yeah, it was a phenomenal yeah. life, yeah. Yeah, good answer. Uh, I think for me, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just going to go on a happier note here. Um, <laughs> um, I, I know you've been lucky enough to do it, but I think one for my bucket list is to go maybe like South Africa and do the cage diving with Great Whites. Um, yeah. That's something that I would like to do before um, yeah, I kick the bucket, definitely. It's fire the shark or from a heart attack, I don't mind. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> When you're doing your tasks, do you see any marine life? Or it depends. If you're diving um, on a closed circuit, you will see a lot more because obviously you make any noise, you are much more likely to, to sort of see or less likely, sorry, to scare things off. But 
you do you'd see a fair amount when you're when you're diving. I guess it depends where you're diving. Yeah. <laughs> when you're when you're in the dockyard, you, you don't see anything. Um, there's things you wish you hadn't seen. Um, float, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, it depends where you are. Generally, if you go out open water and the visibility opens up, then yeah, of course you do get that glimpse of of something, um, some fish and. Again, it depends where we are, um, and a lot of our work takes us underneath the, you know, ships and not very nice places. So it's, yeah. and I think that is one of the main reasons people get deterred when they walk through the door and become divers. They're like, you didn't get to see any fish. That's the diving's rubbish. And it's like, <laughs> well, well, the clearance diver, it's working in the dark in really shit places. Excuse my friend. <laughs> Yeah, because it's one of our questions. We always ask our guests, what's their favourite marine animal? But I guess you don't really... We can still have a favourite. No, yeah, we can still have a favourite. <laughs> I mean, mermaids? I mean, that's awesome. Yeah, mermaids, yeah. <laughs> an octopus? I don't know. Yeah, I go with an octopus. It lives underwater. It's highly intelligent. It's very adaptable. It's like mm. a clearance diver, but like an animal. Oh, yeah, there it is. <laughs> I, I think uh, something like... Um, you know, a blue whale. I mean, what an amazing creature that is. You know, yeah. I've not seen one. I'd love to. You know, that just, you know, gentle giants. And I just think that is something that I think divers need to see. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's awe-inspiring, really. But, um, That's along good. Those lines. I like that. I wouldn't miss it either. <laughs> <laughs> no. no, they're big enough to see, definitely. Yeah. So, um, if you could take three people into the water with you, either on a recreational or at work, but if you could take three people with you, and this is to, to you, Mike, um, if you could take them with you, and that could be anyone from history, anyone you like, or present. How, how, we, how, we, how are we tackling this question? Is it like, we, you know, we want to get rid of them? Because <laughs> obviously my ex-wife's going to be in there. No, 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 we're, we're keeping it positive. So to inspire them, you know. Um, obviously, someone they like... what you do. Yeah, so I mean, it's got to be someone like David Ambrick has got to go. Um, and just to glean his information and knowledge on certain things. Yeah. Oh, uh, properly met, I know, my, my granddad, you know, a guy that pushed me this way to, to show him what I've achieved and, and what... In the forces? He was, yeah. Unfortunately, he was RAF. But um, you know the enemy. But, no, um, no one's perfect. No, exactly. So, uh, but he he guided me this way and, and pushed me down this route. Um, so yeah, I think to, to have that discussion and take him down with me as well would be nice. He put you towards the rat. Oh, standards, man. <laughs> <laughs> you don't you don't go in half cocked, do you? You want to go for the best. <laughs> and I don't like flying anyway. So. Fair enough. <laughs> Uh, and I think number one would have to be my daughter. Oh, nice one. Uh, definitely. Yeah, you've got cool. to approach your Of course I am, yeah. yeah. Okay. Over to you. Thanks. <laughs> I'm going to change tact. So uh, I, I think I'll, I'd take, um, I think I'd take um, uh, the first mine clearance diving officer who was known as Buster Crab um, of uh, Silent Enemy fame, the, the World War II film. He was an actual individual and, and probably the father of the modern clearance diving branch so it would be it would be amazing to get, get obviously his view on what we can do and, and continue to do now yeah uh, i think for a little bit of light relief 
um, in the dive boat on the way there and back. Maybe Stephen Fry. I think he would be quite quite. Good choice. Um, and you know, he's a he's a big guy. Yeah. He'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> And lastly, I, I liked the, uh, the Richard Attenborough, so maybe I, I could bring Steve Irwin, although I don't know how keen he would be on diving if I brought him back, but um, I might bring him, him too. Yeah, nice one. Yeah, it would be an entertaining time, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> my, my book's more light-hearted. <laughs> <laughs> and so do you each have a favourite bit of equipment, dive equipment, that you can't do without or you wish you had uh, in actual fact yeah i have oh <laughs> really my lucky speedos no so fudge on what does that say bomb disposal on the back and then the branch badge there he doesn't wear it does he every time uh, i go diving thankfully lucky... he's usually wearing a dry suit so i do it <laughs> <laughs> Some things that I don't need to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We can't unsee them now, can we? No, no sadly, sadly no. I've got to work with them tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think my favourite bit of dive kit is the one that I go down with and I can come back up with and it keeps me going. I don't, I'm a fairly, <laughs> I'm a fairly simple beast. Um, no, I haven't really got a, a favourite. A bit I could do without. You can go without my night. Fins. You look silly, wouldn't you? We're silly about your fins, definitely. Yeah. He spoke to um, Andy Torbett a while back because his ex uh, bombed the clearance as well, isn't he? But I think land-based. And um, he was saying his favourite piece was a hood. He loves, he yeah. doesn't, he misses his hood. Yeah, that's a strong call. Yeah. Um, doesn't like a cold head. No, I, I don't like, I don't like a hood. I, I can't clear my ears properly if I wear a hood. So I end up having to cut holes in the side to, to let enough water in to enable me to clear my ears. Then he's well, even, even in the cold, you don't wear a hood? No, no, I'll, I'll wear a hood, but I, I, um, if it's cold, but I'll, I'll cut. Um, a hole for my to let a little bit of water into my ear because other, otherwise I can't equalise. I've done that. in yours, haven't you? Yeah. I have, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Much easier. <laughs> little rub, yeah. Cool. They don't let me in when it's cold anyway, so I don't have to worry about it too much. Fair enough. Yeah. So after you've had a dive and you come out, have you got a favourite meal or a drink that you like to have? I do like a cup of tea. Um, oh, I mean, because this is a family show, I'm going to keep it. Clean and sensible, <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, from time to time in the brunch, you might have a little alcoholic beverage to celebrate, but yeah, generally a, a nice cup of tea. Your navy is rum, isn't it? Not, not while you're working, maybe later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Once upon a time, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> it's food, lasagna. I don't think there's any situation where lasagna doesn't make you feel better. I think. <laughs> what, what about curry? Yeah, heavy. Certainly, I wouldn't have a curry before diving. No. That, would, uh, that would not be a good recipe for success. <laughs> we normally ask where your chili level is. You know, are we talking Madras, Korma? No, I'm not. I'm, I don't do spice. No, you, you're a Korma, are you? Yeah, it causes me havoc. Yeah. 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 I sweat over a tikka. <laughs> Index. Yeah, not for me. Okay. Uh, I would. I would. I've been partial to a Naga chicken chili before. That's. That's about as much as I could manage, but is that a thing? It is a thing, and it's a really good thing. If you get a good one, it's really good, but yeah. have you in tears. <laughs> if we're teaching, we often have a curry afterwards in the, in, in the evening. Yeah. So it's quite a nice thing to do, beer and a curry to, to 
talk about your diet. Yeah, pizzas are um, normally a, a favourite amongst the lads. Yeah. If, mm -hmm. if we're still all together at that point. When yeah. you're on a tight task what's kind of the longest time that you're underwater again it kind of depends on the depends on the task i mean yeah. if, um you know we, we try and we, we would use if we depending on the task and its severity we would probably rotate divers without causing decompression mm. because clearly if if someone's in the water column uh, for a longer period of time and there's a risk then then we would want to minimize that uh, and therefore not do decompression so that would mean we'd use more divers so depending on the depth it could be you know if it's a very shallow dive like nine meters you could be in there for as long as the duration of your set which uh, for a mixed gas sets around about 180 minutes so yeah. uh, but then of course you could always just bring them up for enough time to change it over and put them back down again that's been known to happen depending on the on the job um, so they can range so yeah, plenty of time to get hungry then. <laughs> it's just yeah. Yeah. You, can, you most certainly work up an appetite. <laughs> we ask all our guests if they had a billboard and they could put it out to the world out there, what message would you put on it? And it can be a written message, it could be a video, an image, but what would you want to say to the millions of people in our world? This is a family show, yeah? So <laughs> I've got to be... You can have two versions. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah um, your, your world-changing statement. Being idiots. I don't know, I've, I've got quite a thing about um, like sea pollution and plastics. Yeah. I'm on, I kind of jumped on that front. Uh, just yeah, stop ditching it. I, I, I don't know how I'd word that, but yeah, I think there's a way that we could definitely do more I think, I think to clean our seas. As, uh, as professional mariners and, and you know, our, our, our work is in the ocean environment, it would have to be, you know, we've only got one, don't waste it. <laughs> yeah. Um, people should go diving and people should enjoy it. And that would maybe, uh, they'd maybe understand more the ramifications of our current action or inaction, as the case may be. Yeah. yeah. Have you seen a difference in the state of the ocean seas around here over your career? Um, I think it has improved, if anything. I mean, yeah. genuinely, I mean, the, 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 the old days of, and I'm talking very old days of, you know, if, if something wasn't right on the ship, it was over the side, no matter where you were on, in the world, is long, long gone, you know, as, as professional mariners, certainly the, the, the Royal Navy and, and the UK dockyards are all incredibly conscious about how we look after the marine environment. Um, and that goes for every aspect of our, of our profession. And it's, uh, it's heartening to see how, how firmly the defence has grasped the requirement for that. Yeah, that's good to hear. Yeah, it is. Yeah, really good. Okay. Well, do you have any questions for? Um, no, I'm just really if if recruitment piece really if you've got listeners out there that want to join, then then by all means just put your toe in the water and give it a go. Um, is there kind of a life? Is there a lifespan for a diver? in your field? Uh, no, I would say no, because your job changes as you progress in seniority. So mm -hmm. young, able seamen and, and leading seamen divers are hands-on, in the water, on the diving equipment. Um, and, you know, as you increase in seniority, as, as, as Michael alluded to earlier, you become a supervisor, which is less physically arduous, but more mentally taxing. And, and you, you, you also get the, the senior rate uh, responsibilities of looking after your, your juniors in terms of their training and their mentoring and 
uh, and then um, officers again sit above that and deal with more kind of the written bit, if you like, the, the strategy, the policy, the, the, the how, how we meet our defence capability and, and that side of life. So, you know, you can start at the, as an able seaman and progress all the way up to being the first sea lord within the Navy. There is, there is no bar on, in rank or on talent, um, and that is really, really true. Mm, yeah. yeah, so have you got plans of where you're going to continue on in your career? Um, yeah, so, I'd, you know, I've, I've still got time left. Um, you know, I hope that the Navy reward me and extend me a little bit longer. Um, you know, warrant officer, you know, getting up there as a branch champion. Um, yeah, I'd like to see my time through and, and get to the top and, and I've seen it in all ranks. Yeah. Again, like move the assist in moving the branch on for the future as well. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, embracing technology, uh, the way we do things, recruitment, especially opening up and getting more females in. Mm. You know, it, it, it's there for the taking. And like I said earlier, it's if you've got listeners out there that want to come in and, and join the diving branch, uh, you know, and a, a member of the Royal Navy, then go for it. I've done it. It's achievable. You've just got to want it. Yeah. yeah. Certainly, I have, I have definitely, I can see a, 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 a much longer career in, in the Royal Navy for myself. There are things that I'd like to go and do and, and you know, hopefully one day come back and be the commanding officer of the entire diving squadron. It has to be my, my head mark. I couldn't think of a better job. But you'd have to come down and spend a day with us. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, you can experience the life of a clearance diver. Yeah, when things are permitted again, yes, you're more of course, than welcome. Yeah. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be awesome. That'd be brilliant. Yeah. I'd love yeah. that. Yeah, and I think, you know, for our audience, it just shows that diving is not just diving in a clear sea, you know, seeing fish. There's so many more avenues that you can go down and make it a career as well, which is really important. And obviously for youngsters... You know, girls as well, that is just such an open field. And you've really shown that. Yeah. Great. Yeah. But thank you very much for your time this afternoon. Thank you. It's been awesome. Yes. Cheers, guys. It's been really good. Thank, thank you very much. Nice yeah. been brilliant. Thank you very much. And we'll thanks, see you again soon. thanks to Steve as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah no, no. <laughs> No, hopefully that's all come through perfect. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, thanks so much for organising yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. that's brilliant. That's been grand. Great. Okay, thank you very much. We are back. Uh, I really enjoyed that, Gem, didn't you? Yeah, they're a lot of fun. Yes. Well, a lot of fun. So that was really good. So thank you very much to Mike and Al uh, and Stephen for uh, the commanding officer for you know letting us do this and can't wait to go down there. As well. No, we've got our invitation, and for yeah. anybody interested in a career. So yeah, what a great career in the Royal Navy. So if you are a school leaver or you're about to to leave, uh, you know it's a great way to see the world, as they say. You know, and just shows you where diving, where what it can lead to as well. Like some of our other guests who have got into diving, it, you never know where it leads. You know, it's absolutely, it's been brilliant. So uh, thank you very much. Totally enjoyed that. So coming up on the big scuba, we've got senior coach at No Tanks, the free diving centre in central London. Uh, we've got Marcus Great with Jen. Yes. Episode 51. And uh, he's coming on to talk to us about instructing and free diving, all those sort of 
great things to all to do with freedom. Episode 52, Jen, we've got Christine Denison. Yeah, from Mad Dog Expeditions. So she is a woman explorer who's been to the extremes of the Amazon and the Arctic as well. Yeah, so she's um, done some amazing things, really great. And uh, that's all coming up on episode 52, which hopefully should just be out, well, just around about Christmas. Christmas. Yeah. And we might even be able to play Jingle Bells again more appropriately. So that's that. Uh, the last thing I just need to mention, just a quick reminder, it's the bat phone. Make it ring, make it glow red. It really does happen. Plus 44, 7810 Yeah. And here's the next 50. Yeah. So happy 50th. Happy 50th. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Here we go. Catch you Here on all. episode 51. Certainly will. And thank you very much once again for downloading this episode. And thank you very much for listening. That's it. See you next time. Okay. Bye, everyone.